to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Again, good morning and welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's so good to be in worship with you. I want to remind you that immediately following this service, we have an all-church picnic out on the Mimosa side of the lawn. We look forward to being together, celebrating the installation and ordination of our next class of elders who are going to lead and serve us, this family of faith here at RPC, for the next three years. Today we conclude our sermon series on the hidden God. We've been looking at stories from the Old Testament where God remains in the background of the action. We assume that because the Bible is a religious book that God can clearly always be seen. But we've seen that that's just not the case. And today we conclude with the book of Esther. Esther is a unique book in the Bible in that it never makes mention of the name of God. Why is God never explicitly mentioned? What sense can we make of this fact? Let's look at Esther 9. I'm going to read just three verses. And then we'll comment on the entire book. Esther 9, verses 20 through 22. Let us open our hearts, our minds, and our ears for the word of the Lord. Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Asuras, both near and far, and joining them that they should keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same month year by year as the days on which the Jews gained relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and presents to the poor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher that you might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak. Lord, you are never mentioned in this book. Are you there? Are you present? Are you active? We often ask the same question of our own lives. And so I pray that you might shine a light into what is often the darkness. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What do you want on your tombstone. There was a commercial running on television several years ago that had tense music playing in the background. Showed a man tied up before a firing squad about to be executed. The captain of the firing squad approaches the prisoner and asks him, would you like a cigarette? The prisoner crisply responds, no. Then the captain asks him, What would you like on your tombstone? And the prisoner who is facing certain imminent death says, why? Pepperoni and cheese. (laughs) And with that, the rest of the commercial comes on. 
and covers the virtues of tombstones, microwave pizzas. I love that commercial because it's so surprising. I remember the first time I, I saw it, we moved from microwave pizzas from a firing squad. I also love it because it humorously made an important point that many of us try not to think about. What do we want on our tombstone? What do we want to be remembered for? What kind of life do we want to live? The country singer Kevin Welch once sang this bit of wisdom. There will be two dates on your tombstone and all your friends will read them. But all that's going to matter is that little dash between them. The dash between the dates is what matters. What we do between the womb and the tomb is what counts. The book of Esther reads like a classic James Bond movie. It's got everything in it. It's a, Esther is a, a great story with great characters. It has a, a young, beautiful, and courageous heroine, a wicked villain, a wise, older father figure, and an inept and laughable ruler. It has suspense, adventure, revenge. By the end of it, I believe the book of Esther presents a question to all those who would read it. In light of this story, how are you going to live your life? How will you respond in your life to the events that you've just read about? What will be the dash between the dates of your life? Esther appears in what preacher Craig Barnes calls three acts. Act one. The book of Esther begins with the Persian emperor Xerxes throwing a royal party. This party, let me tell you, this party would put a tailgate at the University of Georgia to shame. <laughs> Xerxes was a party animal. He had seemingly infinite desires, and he often let his desires get the best of him. He often acted petulantly and foolishly. He rushed into things, made rash decisions, and he loved to party. Listen to the, the book of Esther's description of this party in Esther 1. When these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in the citadel of Susa, both great and small, a banquet lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Drinks were served in golden goblets, goblets of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. Drinking was by flagons. I had to go look that word up. It's not like those canvas like bags. So you could put a lot of wine and just carry it around with you while you partied in the king's palace. Drinking was by flagons without restraint, in case you were wondering. For the king had given orders to all the officials of his palace to do as each one desired. This was a huge party where everyone drank from golden goblets, the wine was served in flagons, and this went on for seven days. It's hard to comprehend. And on the seventh day, seventh day of this party, King Xerxes commands his servants to go and get the queen, Queen Vashti, 
calls her to the palace because he wants to kind of show her off. Queen Vashti refuses to come. Probably because she knows the danger she would be in being around all these drunk men who've been partying for seven days. And so she refuses to come. And King Xerxes was enraged at her refusal to come to the party. And when his advisors and court officials hear that the queen has refused to come, and she's refused to obey an order of the king, they also become enraged. They worry that if, if word gets out that the king's wife has disobeyed the king's orders, all of the women of the kingdom could stop obeying the orders of their husbands. <laughs> I know it's hard to fathom. <laughs> and so they remove royalty from Queen Vashti. They remove her crown. And then King Xerxes sends a letter. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, declaring that every man should be master in his own house. In the history of royal decrees, this is maybe the stupidest. <laughs> show me a man who's ruler of his own house, and I will show you a liar. <laughs> but that is what Xerxes has declared. Now that the king and the, the king has sent away the queen, removed royalty from her, what are they going to do? Well, you know what they're going to do? They're going to have a beauty contest. A beauty contest for all the women of the kingdom. Now the text tells us there was a man named Mordecai who lived in the kingdom. Mordecai was a Jew whose grandfather had been carried away from Jerusalem to Persia many years before. And after her mother and father had died, Mordecai adopted his younger cousin to take care and raise her. And his cousin's name was Esther. And the Bible says that Esther was fair and beautiful. And because she was so beautiful, she's taken to the king for the beauty contest. And Mordecai carefully instructs her. He says, don't tell anyone that you are a Jew. So at the at the pageant, she keeps her identity a secret. And as you can guess, Esther wins the beauty pageant. She becomes queen of the kingdom of Persia. And the entire kingdom celebrates with parties, the exchange of gifts, a national holiday. Esther is now queen. This young woman who was the descendant of exiles has now become the queen of Persia. And for many of us, this is the way our lives go. We start out as a nobody, but by developing certain skills, taking advantage of certain opportunities, we become somebody. We make something of ourselves. And oftentimes we think we've arrived. We've achieved a goal. We're a success. But this is just act one. There's more drama coming in your life than probably you could have imagined. Just when you think you've gotten everything together, things begin to fall apart. This is when you enter act two. Act two. We find Esther is the queen and living in the royal palace with King Xerxes. A very ambitious man named Haman befriends the foolish king. And Haman persuades the king to make a decree. 
The decree states that whenever Haman rides his horse through town, all of the citizens of that town must bow down before him. I can imagine he came up with a lot of excuses to run errands. Everyone would bow down to him. Everyone, that is, except Mordecai. You see, because of Mordecai's Jewish heritage, he was unable to bow down before any human. And Mordecai's obstinance enraged Haman. So Haman goes to King Xerxes and gets him to pass another decree. While the first decree was inconvenient and a little ridiculous, the second decree is downright evil. This decree calls for the extermination of the Jewish people. It called for the death of every Jew who lived in Persia. And when Mordecai gets word of this decree, he sends word to Esther, informing her of what's about to take place. He wants her to help. And at first, Esther says, what can I do about this? She says, I can't even see the king unless he summons me. Who am I to take this on? All of us will come to times in our lives where we will have to ask ourselves, who am I to take this on? Creating affordable workforce housing, legislating responsible control of military-style weapons, seeking to meet the needs of the lonely and the left out, stepping out as an elder to serve at Roswell Presbyterian Church. We will all come to moments in our lives where we ask ourselves, who am I to take this on? This is act two. Mordecai tries to persuade Esther to intervene. And I find it interesting that he uses both the carrot and the stick method to persuade her. First, Mordecai Mordecai tries the stick. He says to Esther, don't think you'll be spared because you're the queen. Because when the king finds out you're a Jew, your position will bring you no protection. And then Mordecai responds with the carrot. He says, who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. This is the choice of your life. You've been brought here to this time and to this place in order to act. Will we respond to God's call on our life? Esther does respond. She says, I must intercede. If I perish, I perish. Once Esther knows that she must act, she does something interesting. She makes a plan. A plan. Don't ever belittle the importance of having a plan, of strategic thinking, of thoughtfully trying to figure out how to solve a problem. Esther comes up with a plan, and it's no surprise her plan involves a party. She knows the king's affection for parties, and so she decides to throw a great banquet. And they have a great time at this party. So much fun that, in fact, at the very end of the party, King Xerxes calls her over. And he says, whatever you want, I will give to you. What's your request? 
Esther, being shrewd, says, well, how about let me throw you another party tomorrow? He says, absolutely, this is perfect. I love parties. And so they have a party the next day. Esther throws this second party, and at the end of the second party, Xerxes calls Esther over again. And this time, she exposes Haman's plot, and the king becomes furious. King Xerxes becomes so furious that Haman meets his demise. Esther has acted shrewdly to save her people. And this moves us to the third act in the book of Esther. Act three, what will Esther do with her success? Now that Esther has gained the favor of the king, she has authority and power, and the question becomes, what will she do with this power? And here is where the story of Esther takes a hard turn. Esther orders the deaths of 75,000 people who whom she perceives to be hers and the Jewish people's enemy. 75,000 people. I find the ending of Esther to be so sad. I wonder if this might be why God is not mentioned. I wonder if God cannot stand to watch. God has left the stage. At the end of the story, Esther has cho chosen to squander her blessing that she has been given. She's been rescued and taken in and adopted by her cousin Mordecai. Then she's brought into the palace courts. She's made a queen. Then through her creativity and courage, she saved her people. And then she squanders, she squanders that blessing with revenge. Could she not have honored the covenant that God made with her forefather Abraham to bless him so that he could bless the world? I wonder if God remains hidden in the book of Esther out of embarrassment for what has become of the divine blessing that grace and love has been turned into revenge and violence. Esther's story is a story of ambivalence, of both courage and creativity, but it's also a story of misusing the blessing she has received. You see, on our tombstones, there will be two dates, the date we come into the world and the date we depart. And we have very little control over those two dates. Those dates are held in the hands of God. But what we do have control of is the dash between the dates. How will we live our lives that we have been granted? How will we parent? How will we grandparent? How will we use our resources? How will we lead? How will we serve? Will we be the Esther who faithfully, creatively, and courageously risks her life to save her people? Or will we be the Esther who squanders her blessing in unforgiveness and revenge? Between the highs and the lows of our lives, how will we respond? This is the question that God confronts us with. You see, there will be two dates on your tombstone. 
and all your friends will read them. But all that's going to matter is that little dash between them. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, I pray that we might follow you and live as you, your son, taught us. Lives of love, forgiveness, grace, and justice. Lord, that we might reflect your great light into the world. And by that light, you may be seen. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.